Good morning, everyone. It's been a it's been a pretty dramatic week, to say the least. And I know Holy Week is dramatic, and and in terms of drama today is kind of off the scale, and we're going to consider that in a moment. But there, but there have been a number of dramatic incidents on our TV screens and in our media feeds this week, particularly from the early part of the week. I know Ruth has prayed for Sri Lanka and what has taken place there this morning. But I want to refer to a couple of other incidents that, that happened in the earlier part of the week and explain why I want to mention the, these last... Uh, oh, helps if I turn this on, Andrew. Last... Sunday, Tiger Woods, uh, and I know at least one of you who are sitting here this morning was there, uh, but last week Tiger Woods won the Masters at Augusta, which is the, the first major golf tournament of the season, and, and it was headline news for at least two or three days. But what really struck me and stood out was the language that was used to describe his win, to describe his achievement and his journey, because so much of the language that was used last Sunday and Monday was biblical. It, it was kind of Easter language. Let, let me just show you a few examples. Tiger Woods, this was a headline in the newspaper, a story of redemption. Another newspaper carried this one. What the Tiger Woods comeback story teaches us about forgiveness and redemption or this one here appeared on Tuesday. Erica Herman, who's his girlfriend, credited as savior in Tiger Woods' redemption. And then have a look at this quote from the BBC Sport website. To watch him across the past eight months has been to see a man come back to life. To see him hold off 18 of the best 20 golfers in the world at East Lake was something closer to witnessing a rebirth, redemption, forgiveness, a savior, back to life, rebirth, striking biblical Easter language. The second dramatic story this week, and, and as I say, I realize there have been many others, but the other incident I want to highlight was the tragic fire at this historic Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris on Monday. We've seen so many pictures, but there's an image that has caught a lot of people's attention, that has been shared widely. It's appeared almost everywhere. Gordon used it, if you were here and we're up at Malone Avenue on Wednesday night as we gathered to pray, Gordon used it there. And here's the image. It's a picture of the surviving golden cross on the altar, lit up, described by some as glowing amongst the smoke and the debris. And what it has been described as, as a picture of hope for many people as they contemplate restoration. And so there have been headlines around this image, and here, here's a couple of them. Powerful photo reveals cross standing untouched inside devastated Notre Dame, or this one here. Notre Dame cross reminds that hope can rise from the ashes. It's an incredible thought. An incredible truth to grab hold of this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday. Hope can rise from the ashes. I realize many people won't be in church today. We're the exception in the West now. 
Many people won't be in church today. They won't be reflecting carefully on Holy Week or on Easter Sunday. But I hope and pray that as dramatic events unfold in our world and in our culture, and as biblical words and images are used to describe and capture what has happened, I pray that many people today will discover the ultimate story of hope and forgiveness of an empty lit up cross of a savior who has come back to life and offers complete rebirth. This week, that story has been told in very, very different ways from how it's normally told. Take the opportunities, grab hold of the words that are in our headlines, and let's share the ultimate story of hope and forgiveness and redemption and an empty lit up cross and someone who's come back to life and who offers that complete rebirth. If you've got a Bible, uh, please turn with me to, to Matthew 28 because of all of the accounts of the resurrection, or rather to be more accurate, all of the accounts of the post-resurrection, because none of the Gospels give us an account of what happened at the moment of resurrection. They all pick up the story as people discover it. But of all the post-resurrection accounts, Matthew's is by far the most dramatic. And, and I'll explain why in a second. But before we read it together, I want to give you four words and boys and girls, I want you to continue. Ruth has given us a word to listen out for this morning. I'm gonna give you four words to listen out for more as we read the text together in a moment. But here are four words to remember and to take away from today. They are four verbs, if you like, that give us four things to do as a result of Resurrection Sunday. And here they are. Come, see, go, tell. Let's say that together, right? After three, one, two, three. Come, see, go, tell. Let's stand together for the public reading of God's word. And as I say, listen out for the four words. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and quickly tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Grab a seat. He has risen. Let's say that together. After three again. One, two, three. 
He has risen. I mean, that is the main message at the heart of this text. That is the big announcement that is at the center of today. That is the headline news that changes absolutely everything. Jesus, who was crucified two days ago, is no longer in the tomb. The place where his body was laid to rest is empty. He has risen. So come, see, go, tell that. The two Marys, they'd been here before, to the tomb that is. If you have a Bible in front of you, flick back a chapter. Matthew 27 verse 61 says, on the Friday night, the two Marys watched the battered and lifeless body of Jesus being placed in a new tomb. They saw this huge stone being rolled across its entrance. There was a sense of closure. I mean, literally a sense of closure. It's over. But on the Sunday morning, they decided to return to the grave. But note why Matthew tells us they decided to return to the grave. Just to look at the tomb. People do that, don't they? People visit the final resting place of their loved ones. It can be helpful to do that. Important for some. Comforting. It provides a peaceful place to reflect and remember. But there's no chance for these two ladies to do any of that. Because what greets them, what awaits them is so dramatic and so shocking that they're scared out of their wits. To start with, it says there is this violent earthquake. Two days earlier, the exact moment whenever Jesus died, Matthew records how the earth shook, rocks split, tombs broke open. Two days later, and the ground beneath these ladies' feet is added again. Is this an aftershock? And if that wasn't frightening enough, they don't just feel something. They don't just feel shaken. They see something. An angel appears with shafts of lightning exploding from him. And as they watch, and, and you can only imagine what's going on in their heads as they witness this, as they watch, this angel with shafts of lightning exploding from him, it says, goes to the tomb rolls back the stone and sits on it. The two Marys are not the only ones who are petrified. It says the Roman guards who have been posted to keep watch at this site, they are shaking with terror. They can't move. They become like dead men. They are frozen to the spot. And this is why Matthew's account, which is so different, I know, but this is why Matthew's account is the most dramatic of all the post-resurrection accounts. It's so active. There's so much going on. They've felt something, the ground shake. They've seen something exploding, lightning from an angel who rolls back a stone and sits on it. Now they hear something. The angel speaks. And his first words before his main words are familiar words. 
And for those who were here last Sunday morning as we read 1 Kings 17, these will be recognizable words. What is the first thing the angel says to them? Do not be afraid. I made the point a week ago that these words are always spoken in the situations where there's every reason to be afraid. And this one's no different. And the two Marys needed to hear this now, and in a few moments they'll hear it again. They are such important biblical words, and for anyone here this morning who is frightened for whatever reason, or for very good reasons, please hear these words afresh again. I know we said them, we emphasized them last, but I need to say them again. Do not be afraid. And the reason I can say that, and that it's not patronizing and it's not trait, the reason I can say that is partly because of the message that follows. This is the only reason we should not be afraid, because he is not here. He has risen just as he said. It's got to be one of the most groundbreaking messages ever shared. Possibly that is why it was accompanied by the literal shaking of the ground. The foundations of the world were being rocked when this message was given. God was shaking things up. Even death itself is being caused to shudder. And the message is simple. He has risen changes everything. Jesus has come back to life. Jesus is alive. And no, just as he said, Jesus had predicted this would happen three times at least in Matthew's gospel. Let me read a couple of them from that time. This is Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must enter Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. But Jesus didn't end his conversation with the disciples at that point. He then said, and on the third day, I'll be raised to life. A chapter later, Matthew 17, he told his disciples again that he would be delivered into the hands of men who would kill him, and on the third day, he would be raised to life. Finally, chapter 20, same chapter as this, but in the previous chapter, sorry, as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem, he says exactly the same thing. You see, Jesus is true to his word. It's one of the characteristics that he shares with his father. What God says happens. What Jesus says happens. His word is true. You can depend on it. You can rely on it. You can trust it. Do not be afraid. He has risen. Just as he said he would, it changes everything. But he's true to his word. But because actions often speak louder than words, the angel doesn't just make this earth-shattering announcement and then leave. No. He invites the Marys to come. And here's our first of four words. He invites them in to the tomb. See, I think it's really interesting. The stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. The resurrection had already happened at this stage. The stone was rolled away, not to let someone out, but so that people could go in. So that the women could come in. So that they could enter. So that they could take it in for themselves. And this first verb, this is our invitation. Are we willing on this Easter Sunday morning, 2019, to come? 
to come that wee bit closer, to come nearer, to come and check this life and death altering message out for ourselves. And more than that, are we willing to come? Are we prepared to come to the risen Jesus? Or do we want to keep our arm's length? But the second word, the second invitation follows hot on the heels of the first. See, come and see the place where he lay. Take a long, hard look for yourselves. Come and see the empty tomb. Two days ago, they had seen Jesus led to rest here. They had watched as the stone was rolled across the entrance. But now they are told to come and see the empty vault. Because why? Seeing is believing. And with the eyes of faith, we're invited to do exactly the same 2,000 years later, plus to come once again on another Easter Sunday morning, Easter Sunday 2019, and see an empty tomb as well as an empty lit up cross. To hear the message that alters everything and potentially alters everyone and see for ourselves. See for ourselves. He has risen. And the question we all have to answer this morning is, do we see it? Do you see it? But the angel isn't finished. The message isn't over. There's a third word, there's a third verb, and it's a well-known biblical one, go. Because you see, whenever you've come closer, whenever you've taken that step, whenever you've seen that Jesus is alive, that he has risen, you can't, you should not stay static. You need to take that message somewhere. You need to go, and in terms of where, where should I go with this message? Well, if you glance down to the end of Matthew 28, you're told to go into all the world. This earth-shattering message, this good news, can't be kept under lock and key. It's too important for that. It can't be contained. It needs to get out there. It needs to go beyond ourselves. It needs to go beyond these walls. It needs to be heard in the streets around this school, and that's why shine is so important. As Sarah stood up here last week and says, we have been commissioned to go, and we have. We've come, we've seen, we've got to go. We've got to go with a simple gospel, the simple message that Jesus is alive. And so the angel says, go. They're invited to do the fourth thing, tell. Go share this message. Go tell it to his disciples. Go tell his disciples, you see all those things Jesus said? That he would rise again on the third day. It's all true. You know all those things Jesus said about the way, the truth and the life? They're all true. See all that Jesus said about forgiving sin? They're all true. See all that Jesus said about a new future and a hope? All true. See what Jesus said about giving eternally? It's all true. You gotta go and you gotta share this. And on that first Easter Sunday morning, a message from an angel started 
a chain of messages that went from the two Marys to the, two, or to the numerous disciples, and it is still being passed on 2,000 years later. One messenger repeated the good news message of the resurrection to the next messenger, who in turn repeated it to the next messenger, who in turn repeated it to the next, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it's why we keep meeting, and it's why we're here this morning, because we want to keep sharing this message. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He has risen. Hope has risen from the ashes. And as we read on in Matthew 28, we discover that the women go and do all of the above. They come, they see, they go, they tell. But what I find really interesting is the mix of emotions that accompanies them. Look, look at verse 8. It says this, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. You see, there's energy. There's intention, but there's also fear and joy. And I'm going to suggest that each or all of those are going to be our experience if we choose to do likewise. You see, if we choose to come and see and go and tell, it's going to require intention. It's going to require energy. But you know something? There is no doubt if you go and share that Jesus is alive, at times you're going to feel fearful. Because this message doesn't make sense in our world today. To share it on these streets, to share it with the children around this community, to share it beyond, to share it in our world, makes no sense. And therefore, it requires courage to say, Jesus is alive. There's redemption. There's forgiveness. There is hope. Someone has come back to life. There is potential complete rebirth. See, to say all that requires guts. And so at times, to say it, you're going to feel fearful. But you're also going to be filled with unspeakable joy because you've got the privilege to share what is the most life and death changing message the world has ever heard. And as the Marys go on their way, as they start running to go and tell Jesus' disciples that he is alive, as the angel has said to them, do you know what? They bump into Jesus. And he greets them. And it says they fall at his feet and they bow down and worship in awe and adoration and submission. And again, this morning, as we encounter the risen Jesus, this is the right response. This is the only response. Those who come and see and go and tell will worship Jesus. And those who worship Jesus, who truly worship Jesus, will come and see and go and tell. And Jesus then repeats those words of comfort, do not be afraid. And then he repeats the third and the fourth words, go and tell. Jesus commissions the two Marys to go and tell. The angel has done this, now Jesus himself does this. And as we all know, you get to the end of this chapter and we all hear Jesus commission every single one of us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything I have commanded you. Come, see, go, tell.
Come closer. Come nearer. Come see he is alive. Go with the Easter message he has risen, just as he said. And tell others, how will you respond this Easter? How will you respond this morning? One final comment, and then back to Ruth. See that last verse? Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. I love this. Because this is an intimate description of his disciples. And we've got to remember that the disciples had either betrayed him, denied him, or forsaken him at the time of his greatest need. Yet here and now, there's more than an indication that the risen Jesus has forgiven them. That he hasn't rejected them. That he hasn't turned his back on them. They are still his brothers, despite the fact they betrayed him and denied him and forsook him in his darkest hour. They're still his brothers. And there's maybe some of us here this morning, and we feel we've messed up. We haven't seen Jesus for a while. We haven't gone and told a single soul that Jesus is alive for weeks, for months. It's actually maybe been years since we've told anyone about Jesus. And so let me encourage you this morning to reconnect with your brother who doesn't wait in Galilee, but rates right, right where you are this morning. He waits right where you are this morning, and he offers restoration and redemption. Come, see, go, tell.